How do I do my taxes? What's a credit limit? Where can I find a doctor? When's the best time to move? Who can I ask about all this? And why wasn't I taught how to be an adult? Hi, I'm Kathy. And I'm Genevieve. And, and we're, we're just, just as lost as you are. Come along with us as we journey through the weird, confusing, and sometimes scary world of adulthood. Every week, we'll talk with experts and those who have been there, done that, to answer your questions and ours. And on this edutainment podcast, we'll finally learn how to be an adult. So come on. Enjoy, enjoy the, the Society, society of, of Grown-Ups. Oh, hi there. Didn't see you there because it's a podcast and you're listening to us. <laughs> what? What? Anyways, <laughs> hi. Welcome back to Society of Grown-Ups. I'm Genevieve. And I'm Kathy. I was telling Kathy earlier, I think having a podcast about adulthood has cursed us because very adulthood things have been happening to me and me since it started. Like I pulled my sciatic nerve. I don't know like, how I like, what is that exactly? It goes from the top of your butt all the way down through your ankle. And it's oh. you can like have a slit disc. I don't know what the hell happened, but I walked a lot on Monday outside and then I was sitting on the floor and I stood up a weird way and it's feeling better. And thank God, uh, I have a massage gun and not like a vibrator. Like it's a legit (laughs) massage gun with different, but anyways, I'm feeling better. That's good. I repotted some plants. We just got a money tree like a month ago and it's already dying because our apartment doesn't have any sunlight really go into it. So we're just kind of like fucked. Um, And it's not underwatered or overwatered. It just doesn't get sunlight. So we're just kind of fucked and we're just watching it die. And we're like, I'm sorry, poor plant bee. I wanted to do a gardening episode. My mom actually has a friend who's a professional gardener. So maybe she'll. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. But anyways, how are, how are you? Okay. Honestly, after my like fourth mental breakdown of the month, I decided (laughs) my therapist was like, you should totally do something you enjoy. So, um, I tried getting into oil painting. I am determined I will learn. And also for all my animal crossing friends, you are now listening to a three-star island bitch. Oh, shit. Three-star review on Yelp. <laughs> yeah. And, no, like my island's not cute right now. Um, so not at all cute. It's a hot mess. But I just learned how to do a waterfall and it was great. And I'm now into the deep hole of, you know, when you're into a game and you YouTube how to like beat the game or how to do something in the game or whatever. And then now I'm just kind of stuck on the YouTube hole of animal crossing tips and terraforming tips. And I don't know how to do a transition. So we're just going to introduce our guest this week. (laughs) So today's guest is actually a friend of mine that I went to school with. Her name is Olivia. She just opened up her own custom clothing business called Calabrian Kiss based in Oakville, Ontario. She founded this whole business during Ontario's first lockdown and during a whole ass pandemic. So she's pretty much a badass. She really is. And we had a great conversation about supporting small businesses and finding inspiration and how fucked the fashion industry is. Introducing Olivia Physico. I'm Olivia. I'm from Oakville, Ontario. I'm currently 24 years old. I actually got my like first start in sewing when I was, I think, six or seven years old. My mom put me in this class with me and my sister, and we learned how to sew from someone that lives uh, locally in her basement, actually. Um, And I started by making like Halloween costumes and whatnot. And then I didn't really touch sewing at all until um, high school after that. 
Um, I had to, so because I was doing a lot of different projects in theater and no one really wanted to do it. So that was a role that I took on then. And then again, when I was in school with Kathy, we had to do um, a couple different projects where we would have to sew and we took an elective. But I think the reason that I really got back into it, obviously with the pandemic, um, people really needed face masks at some point last year. And I was one of the only people that I knew at the time that had a sewing machine. Um, so that's kind of how things started up. I was using at the time a lot of like repurposed materials because Fabricland, which is I guess the closest uh, fabric store to me was closed. So I had to get really creative. My mom and I were going to the dollar store for a lot of our materials and using bandanas um, and elastics from the dollar store. So that's how I guess the idea to like uh, sew and, and produce things at a larger scale sort of started. And then um, in terms of my business, that kind of, again, started from the mask project and then expanded um, now into Calabrian Kiss. So I carry like a wider range of things, predominantly like women's wear. So yeah, it's been like a whole long journey over the course of this pandemic. And that's where I'm at now. Your clothing and like your products, I creeped your Instagram. They're so amazing. And the fact that you sew by hand is bananas. I don't think people realize how difficult sewing is and how much freaking work it takes. There's a reason no one wanted to do it in theater school. It's hard work. So props to you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no, dude, seriously. Like I took costuming. I was in costuming for like about two weeks before I dropped it. <laughs> so when did you know that you wanted to switch your career trajectory and go into fashion school? I had kind of reached like a crossroads, I guess, during the pandemic where I kind of felt like, and I'm sure both of you can relate to this sentiment. Uh, there is kind of this like looming feeling that like performance arts there's going to be a shift. Um, I'm not sure what it's going to look like after the pandemic's done with all of the new regulations and whatnot. So I was trying to kind of find something that I could do to hone my creativity. And I, I couldn't really figure out at the beginning of the pandemic what I wanted to do. I started with like doing a lot of visual arts, but it wasn't sticking. So I for a long time in my life, I'd pursued a lot of creative endeavors that maybe didn't really have um, an opportunity for uh, monetization. And I wanted to pick something that I could kind of, you know, turn into something potentially that I could do to sustain myself financially. Because although artists, you know, it's not our primary goal all of the time, I really wanted to see if there was a way that I could combine creativity and then also something that I could do to actually sustain myself. So I thought about it for a while and then I decided, you know, maybe fashion being the fact that it's such a big industry, I thought, okay, maybe there's something here. And then uh, the mask situation sort of happened and I saw that there was a lot of interest. So I realized that it was something that I could kind of do on like a small business scale. And I thought it was going to be really simple and straightforward when I started out. So I applied to uh, do like a master's at... I think it was Ryerson, but I didn't realize that they wanted people that had already like sort of had like a career in uh, fashion. Yeah, before I applied to that. So I went through the whole process and then that didn't work out. And then I applied to George Brown because I wanted to do something hands on. I finished uh, the full like first semester and then the second semester I got halfway and I was like, 
no, I can't, I can't do this. So I deferred from the program until after the pandemic. I was really frustrated with the fact that I couldn't do anything like hands-on with it. Um, our in-class sessions and whatnot were really stunted by the fact that we couldn't use the resources. It was really hard to reach out to the teachers. So I got like a year and a half under my belt and I'm just putting a pause on that until further notice because there's no way to get hands-on skills right now, in my opinion, given the climate um, and the way that everything's going down, like in a safe way. And also keeping like the quality of education um, adjacent to whatever was um, sort of like the norm in past years. Um, so I just felt like I wasn't benefiting from it after a certain point. And then I started focusing more on my business. And in doing that, I was able to kind of get enough uh, interest in sales to sustain myself in that avenue. And then that's why I've been mostly focusing on my small business, but hopefully I'll pick back up with the schooling when the pandemic's over. But I just, yeah. I don't really see it helping me with the way that things are set up right now. No. And it's completely frustrating because you're paying so much money yeah <laughs> not use like you're paying to use those resources and you can't yeah it was frustrating because like um we were segregated to like when we had our in-class days and they had condensed a two-year in-class program from what I understand into eight days of class so they doubled like the length of the class entirely um, and then we didn't have any time to like take breaks. The teaching staff was few and far between because people didn't want to be in the school. Um, when I tried to communicate to like uh, the dean and I'm not even sure the titles of the people that I reached out to, but I just emailed so many people and I was like, what can I do about this? So it was really difficult and super frustrating. And tuition obviously is the same as it would have been in previous years. So I just said, yeah, like I know George Brown is fantastic on like a regular year, but right now... I just wanted to take a break from all of that because I wasn't benefiting at all. Definitely, especially since you're already so busy with your business. Some areas of work, particularly if you're running your own small business, you don't need a degree for that. So for people who are considering going back to school, do you have any advice to give them to give anyone who is thinking of changing their career trajectory? We as like North Americans in general we tend to really value formalized education. And I've had a lot of time to think about this during the lockdown. And there is a lot of pressure um, now with the way that things are set up in terms of finding a job on people to return to school. But having made the connections that I've made through doing my small business, I can tell you 100% that if entrepreneurship is the avenue that you're most strongly drawn towards, and you already have the skill or the idea, I don't necessarily think that it's 100% essential to return back to school because the people that I know that have made it the farthest are self-taught either artists. I have a good friend who's a mechanic who he did his like mechanic license. And then in terms of like the whole entrepreneurship, um, that's just something that you have to work at and talk to people. So I'd say if you're looking to create something and you want to do a small business type project, I don't know that school is necessarily the most valuable. And I kind of wish someone had said that to me. But in terms of like networking on like a normal year, obviously from going to York and meeting people there, I am still in contact with a lot of people. And I'll have a lot of interesting ideas, even from talking to the people that we went to school with. So I'm really happy that I did my undergrad just because 
it's kind of a good way to like get to know yourself and like maybe what your interests are. But in terms of going back to school, unless you're absolutely certain that you want a specific skill, like in terms of entrepreneurship, in my position, I would say like you have to really, really want to go back to school to do that second degree um, and know that's something you want because I'm not 100% sure like what's going to happen with me. But in terms of formulating a business, yeah, I'm not so sure that it's for everyone. When you started the business, did you have any fears or reservations or anything that you were really nervous about? Yes. Um, I hate social media in general. It gives me a lot of anxiety, like posting. I know Kathy probably like she knows 100% where I'm coming from because my fourth year show in theater school was actually about how I think social media is such a detriment to society in so many ways. But my fears were absolved, like in terms of like, I was worried about posting and people not receiving my content well, and, you know, people judging what I was doing and not thinking it was good or valuable. And I think the important thing to note is that business Instagram and business TikTok and Facebook is a completely different space than when I used to have a personal Instagram. So I've noticed like an overwhelming amount of support from other people that are doing similar things to me. So I don't think that that specific fear was 100% warranted. Yeah, after spending some time on uh, Instagram specifically and getting to know people through there, I'm so glad that I took the jump because there's so much support out there. So many other Canadians, especially that are doing similar things that I've actually become friends with. And I feel so like mad that I was like reserved about it because in the end, you know, there's a lot of good and bad, but in my experience with my business, it's been so much more good overwhelmingly. Did you consider uh, social media the biggest obstacle you think in the beginning? Because even though there's a lot of positivity, there is a lot of toxicity too. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with it. And obviously it's easier said than done to just not check the numbers, but unfortunately numbers matter and the algorithm matters. Right. And I actually made a connection with someone through my dad, like a family friend, and he is helping me out right now uh, because he's doing a social media startup. Um, And we were talking about it and he kind of explained the way that algorithms work and that you know, there's not necessarily a reason for why you're not getting traction. And people think that it's very formulaic, but it's not really that way. So sometimes when you're posting things, you're kind of taking a stab in the dark, and you're not you're not going to 100% understand the way that people are going to receive it until it's been put out there. Um, So it kind of reinforced to me that, you know, social media isn't necessarily an indicator of anything. It's really difficult now to understand the way that things are going to be received. There's no rhyme or reason to why certain posts that I've made are um, received better than others. It could potentially be the time of day that I posted it, or, you know, maybe even the color is really popular for the specific season that we're in. So when I think about it from like a perspective of like, you know, social media is designed to be challenging for us to, you know, crack into like finding our audience and it can be really difficult, but when you really understand, you know, that there's, there's obstacles that are trying to like hold us back. And I just think of my posts now in terms of being, um, okay, I want to reach out to specific people. I don't really care if I get a lot of likes. I want to see other people that are interested in sustainable fashion, other Canadians, other people in Ontario or Quebec, people that are interested in inclusive fashion. 
So when you kind of break it down and realize that it's more important to reach certain people as opposed to reaching everybody, and then you might just have like a few really loyal clients, even if you don't have a big following. And in the beginning, that was 100% the case with my business. So yeah, I think the more you work with it, the more you understand that social media is meant to be challenging in terms of um, getting those numbers. And also the fact that it's really quality over quantity in terms of if you're looking, you know, on like a, a basis of how much you're going to sell, sometimes that's more important. So just going through like all of the things that I've gone through, my mind has definitely been changed. How did you and how can our listeners overcome any doubts that you or your loved ones have about your business? Like when you started it, was anyone, did anyone say to you, uh, what the heck are you doing? This is crazy. You're not going to make any money. Yes. And people still say that every single day. And it's really frustrating. Meanwhile, small- the money is in your bank account. So exactly. Girls know, got the receipts. <laughs> people, people don't see that. Right. So they're just, a lot of people won't believe you just based off the merit of what you're saying. Um, but to this day, like people still think that it's, and you know, my, my friends, my family, whatever people think that it's uh, more of like a hobby. Um, but I see a future in a lot of small businesses, maybe not even my own, but I'm so much more inclined to support people that I know. And so I think that there are a lot of people out there that are going to find success in their entrepreneurship journey. So I think it's totally valid to be scared Um, that people aren't going to receive what you're doing well, because I experienced that myself. But something that really helped me personally, my friend who owns a garage or he owned a garage and he had like a whole journey during lockdown where he had to sort of give everything back and he he can no longer have the space that he was renting because it's horrible. And it's horrible to watch that happen to someone that I was so proud of that was his dream and he made it and then you know now he's working out of his own personal garage like at his home um so it's still fine and he's paying a lot less rent but what helped me a lot in the beginning was kind of like he was a friend that I had from like high school but we hadn't really spoken until uh we realized we were kind of like in the same position in terms of like uh running businesses he reached out to me and was like, hey, you're going to meet a lot of criticism on your journey. People are going to tell you that what you're doing doesn't make sense, that you're crazy, and that you need to focus you know, on a more traditional um, way of making money. And he kind of just would call me and check in on me. And I know this is not necessarily going to be an option for everyone, but it was really having that like mentorship. I feel like that really like pushed me and gave me like, the strength to keep moving when people were saying like, this is ridiculous. Or, you know, those times when I would like be really super low on money for what I wanted to work on. Cause that happens a lot as a new business owner, it's so expensive. And unfortunately there's almost no funding available for small clothing businesses in Ontario. I've tried to find some resources, but unfortunately it doesn't seem that there is much. Hopefully I can push for that like in the future, but it's, it's busy to have all of that going on. Um, but yeah, I would say that my mentor that I've been in contact with was a really helpful um, source because me seeing him doing big things and he came from much less than I did. Like I have a really supportive family and I ha- I'm like staying with them. So I have 
you know, all the space in the world. And that's a huge weight off my shoulders, but he had to make his own way. He came from a third world country. He didn't have the education that I had or the opportunities. So his mentorship and seeing other people like him and like myself making it, that's really what motivated me to keep going amidst people criticizing what I was doing. I feel because it's something I've heard from a lot of entrepreneurs, my cousin and his now wife, they actually they quit their jobs. I think she was working in HR and he was working in civil engineering. They both said, fuck this, we're quitting. And then they just opened up their own fitness company and everyone thought they were nuts. Like we're, we're Filipino. We were like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? But they're super successful and they're super happy. So for all you entrepreneurs listening, like it gets better. It yeah, really, it really does, does, honestly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of our last guests that we had, Stephanie, she's actually a personal stylist. And when we had her on, we were asking her about how do you price yourself? Like, how do you do what's fair to the customer and what's fair to you? Like, how do you really price yourself for your labor? Uh, can you tell us more about your experience in setting up your own prices? Okay, so this is, a hundred percent the most difficult most difficult thing about having a business as an artist and this is something that I've been dealing with like over and over like going back and forth and battling with myself so just a little bit of background like in terms of my finances for the first like four or five months I was just breaking even if not I was paying for a lot of the products that people were getting out of my own pocket because I wanted that exposure so badly And I had this voice in the back of my head telling me like, people are not going to pay for the price that this is actually worth. I had, for some reason, I just had it ingrained in my head. People are not going to understand if you tell them that the shirt is $50, that that's what the shirt needs to be. So in the beginning, I was basically just putting a fast fashion price on everything that I was making. So I would kind of price the items uh, in a very comparable fashion to what you would see at like, you know, urban, urban planet, you know, and that's very, very cheap. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why those items are so cheap. And it's a lot of times to do with exploitation. Um, so I thought, okay, this is what people are expecting to pay. Then, um, my mom, she was like really on top of me. And she's like, Olivia, like, I see what you're spending, she would come with me to go to fabric land and I would walk out the door with like $400 of fabric. And it would be like, maybe like, you know, enough to make a couple outfits and it was getting insane. So I had come to a point where I was like, I can no longer facilitate what I'm doing if I don't start pricing myself properly. So the going like rate in the industry for um, like custom handmade ethical pieces is the price of material plus $20 an hour. That's the way that you're supposed to price it. And if you were like a celebrity designer and you made stuff for like Cardi B or something, it would, the rate would just increase with your, um, your clientele and your talent and whatnot. So at the moment, I'm probably not charging $20 an hour. I'm probably charging like $15 an hour plus materials. And I think that's like a safe bet. I don't want other people to like lowball themselves, but if you're starting out, Um, and you're not super confident, then I would say like, you know, figure out what the minimum wages in your area, charge that hourly, and then make sure you're covering your materials. That's like the, the base like fee for figuring out how to like price your products. 
but I struggle so much with like actually putting the correct value, like the correct price tag on things. There's only a few times that I feel like I've sold something that was priced correctly by industry standard. So yeah, if you're an artist and you hear this, like, please just, just take this little piece of information. You're not doing anyone a service by pricing your products less than what they're worth. And it's so hard because like, you're going to hear people be like, oh my God, that's so expensive. You see it all the time on TikTok, especially with this girl that I look up to. She does um, like clothes for like raves and stuff. And people all the time are in our comments being like, this is not worth a hundred dollars. Okay. Here's the thing though. You can't get that anywhere else. If you want it, there's no way for you to get it from anywhere. Yeah. It's like, if you don't, if you don't want to pay that, don't buy it. I also feel like people, they want the quality, but they don't want to pay for it. Of course. Yeah. And I don't think people know how much things cost, um, from like, Unfortunately, textiles are very expensive and I chose one of the most expensive things that I could have. You know, when I used to make art, it was a lot less expensive than uh, what I'm doing now. But the thing about clothing is that it can last forever if you invest in it and you love something. We should be thinking about our clothes, you know, as investments because it's terrible the amount of waste that people create by buying into fast fashion so with custom work especially if you've always been dying to have like a satin red dress or whatever I can take that idea hopefully and bring it to life and then that way you don't have to buy 5,000 until you find the one that you like so yeah there's a lot of value in custom work not just in like fashion but also in other businesses that my friends have started So yeah, I think the price tag makes sense, but it's really hard to rationalize that to people, especially if they're not entrepreneurs or artists. Especially since your business is so niche. You're one of the few people I know who do custom clothing like that and good custom clothing. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but honestly, there's a reason that people don't do custom orders. And I realized pretty quickly why that is this girl that I look up to that I mentioned before, she does like a lot of like clothes for like dance rave type situations. She used to do custom orders. And then when she got big enough, she stopped. And the reason for that is she didn't have to tell me this, but I know from my limited experience, people a don't want to pay for the materials, even let alone the labor. And the second thing is it's really hard to make people happy. Even if you sometimes give the client everything that they want. There are situations where, I don't know, for whatever reason, people are extremely like picky or they end up like not wanting the thing that they requested. And then as the designer, you get really confused. And this is not always the case, but I've had it happen a few times and it's really disappointing. And then you've put so much time and effort into something and you believe it's amazing and it's exactly what the sketch looked like. But for whatever reason, the person, the client still isn't happy. I don't know why that happens, um, but it's a through line with other girls that I know that do custom orders. It's really, it is challenging for some reason to, I don't know like what it is to appease exactly the vision. I think people sometimes have something in their head that's too, I don't know, it's too exceptional to actually come to fruition. And then it's really challenging for people to make that happen. And we're all doing our best but it is custom orders are honestly very, very, very challenging. And if you're, again, if you're hearing this and you have like a business and you're, you're thinking of doing custom orders, maybe try to set it up so that there's customization available, but starting from the ground up is really, really challenging with just a sketch or an idea. 
Um, but if you do like bathing suits and you want to customize the color, that's a much simpler uh, business model that makes sense. How do you manage high and low order volume? So if there's a month where there's not as many orders coming in or there's a week where it's crazy and you have a bunch, I don't know exact numbers. I don't know what's high or low for you. So if you want, you can get into that, but is there any anxiety with that along with excitement? How do you manage that? So December obviously was the worst month for me not having any free time. I was also in school at the time. I was sleeping like, I think an hour a day. Um, it was brutal. I was barely Girl, Olivia, it was, not it was healthy. So I know, I know, I know. But the, it, it was the first December that I had a business. So I had no idea what was going to happen. And then everyone was like, oh, Christmas gifts. And then everyone wanted all these crazy things. And I am too much of a people pleaser. And I kept saying, okay, I'll take it on. No problem. Let's take more and more and more. And then you get to a point and you're like, oh my God, like I have this crazy long list. I don't have anyone to help me. I couldn't invite anyone over because it was like social distancing. None of that could happen. None of my family members know how to sew. So I was really on my own for that. It was brutal. And I was not managing, to be honest with you. Yeah, it was not healthy. School wasn't working out already at that point. And that's kind of when I was like starting to think about leaving um, because you can't, as a small business owner, you're going to be spending more than 40 hours a week on what you're doing. So you have to think about that. Um, so I rolled back my hours at my second job because I have another job. And then I was considering leaving school um, at that point because it was too much. So that is an example of what not to do and what balance was not looking like. After that, I, I sort of learned how to like plan and manage accordingly. So I figured out how long it was going to take me to make most of my items. I got a lot smarter with um, pacing myself and I started to like remember that I had to like work out and like eat and do all these other things. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you get have a life. You have to have a life other than it's brutal though, because like as artists, especially as theater artists, and I started in musical theater, you get told that you shouldn't have a life. And there's like this idea that you should never take a break. You should never do anything for yourself. Your whole life should be performing in performance arts. And even my professors in university would always tell me that I was too, like, I wanted everything to be too perfect. And that's the way that I am. So I had to learn through that experience, how to, um, yeah, you have to make time for eating, make time for sleeping, make time for watching Netflix here and there or doing whatever else that you like. Um, so slowly I have, and I was told by everyone in my life at that point, oh my God, Olivia, you're going to burn out. My mentor was telling me, my friends were telling me, everyone was telling me that I needed to uh, balance. And you think when you're in that space, you're like, no, I'm going to be fine. Um, I wasn't fine. I completely burnt myself out after December. And uh, so then I had to stop taking custom orders for a while. So yeah, that whole thing was a learning experience for me. And I'm really well equipped for next time that it's uh, December or a busy season. It's all a learning um, process. Yeah. yeah, I know. And no one tells you like how crazy it's going to be. But I'm no. so thankful. I'm thankful that that was even a situation. That's why I wanted to push through it. You know, you get a lot of um, people interested in your work when you're sending out a lot of things. Um, and it was amazing because I was getting all these stories back and everyone was opening their Christmas presents. And I felt like I was there with other people, um, especially because we were super isolated this year. So it felt really nice. And it's also cute that like they gave them it wasn't even for them. It was for other people. That would make me feel so good. Um, also, hopping back on your point of never having breaks, I think, too, something that 
because more and more of my friends are becoming either entrepreneurs or starting side hustles. And I think when you have that, when you don't have set hours, nine to five, it's really easy to just work 24 seven, because if someone sends you an email, yeah, you're, <laughs> if someone sends you an email or a DM or something, you feel the need to respond to it right away. And you, what are you going to say? Like, Oh, sorry, I didn't have my phone. And I think people like clients and customers or whatever you want to call them, they can get so like, why aren't you on call 24 seven? Why can't I send you this? Why aren't I getting a response? And it's, you know, I almost want to say if you went to a bank at 1am, no one would be there. Or if you went to, you know, the post office, post office ain't open on Sundays. You know why? Because it's not because it's the day of rest, not even religious terms, but I think it's really easy for people to think you're just like on call 24 seven. I feel like also as a, just going to theater school, we're kind of told to be on call 24 seven, but you have an, Oh my God, you have like nine hour rehearsals without breaks. It's fucking insane. (laughs) Tech week, tech week is like the worst. You don't sleep the whole time. It's not a joke. I know. And that's our background. So then it, is part of you and then it becomes part of your business processes and you think it's going to be okay but I give everyone that's working on a project maybe four months of working that at that intensity until they collapse and you really believe in your mind it's not going to happen but it will happen to you and I'm still dealing with like what I did earlier and the mistakes that I made and I'm slowly trying to work into like a schedule where I have to wake up and I have to work out. And then I have to like plan that I'm actually going to take time for a meal. And if you don't write those things in your to-do list, if you don't make a point that you need to do those things, you need to go on a walk. You need to spend time with your family. For me, I have a bird. So that's like a thing that I do in the morning that I like, yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Your bird's name is Giovanni. That's amazing. I love that. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. I love Geo. Geo reminds me to take breaks because Geo can't be in my like workspace. He's too crazy. So yeah, if you have like a pet or like a hobby or something, you have to write it into your schedule or you will forget about it. So we talked about high orders, but I guess, do you have advice on how to handle, you know, maybe a week or, you know, a couple weeks in a row, you're not getting as many orders as you like. How do you deal with nerves or anxiety around, you know, a time of low orders. Okay. So there's a few things you can do if you're feeling like your orders are really low. I've never done this as of yet because I've been blessed that I haven't like really had any time to um, be super low on orders, but I keep a wait list sometimes if I'm able to of custom orders. Um, and I have to be very clear with my clients when they reach out to me, like what the time frame is, because people are conditioned to expect like instant clothing. Uh, it's the fast fashion industry has messed a lot of us up. So I, I'm just very clear about that. Like, hey, I'll get back to you probably around this date in April. Um, so keeping a wait list is really good if you do custom orders and then you can pick it up whenever things are slow. Um, another thing you can do is promote your work on Instagram um, through like the Instagram marketing tools. I know a lot of people that have done that and found a lot of success. Um, giveaways. People say not to do giveaways because people will follow you and then your engagement will go up for like a week and then people will unfollow you after. But if you reach out to people that are, you know, sort of interested in what you're doing, or you do a collaborative giveaway, I did one around Christmas time with a bunch of different uh, female owned businesses. And we all had similar products. So I did gain a big following from that. 
And I got a lot of orders right after. So that's another thing that I would recommend, like teaming up with another local business with a similar audience as your own. If I have downtime, which is like rarely, I think it's important to like try to like schedule yourself so that you will have like lower periods. And I haven't been the best at doing that. Um, Cause I keep like being like, okay, launch. Okay. Now custom orders. Okay. Now. And it's not, it's fun. It keeps you, you know, going, but you have to, as an artist or an entrepreneur, you need time to like recharge as well. So when do you know it's time to take something out of your inventory? For me, the answer is pretty simple. I will see right away when I put something up on my website, if it's getting traction or not. I have Wix and it can show me like sort of when people are on the website and what they're looking at. And it's almost always never the items that you expect that aren't going to do well. Um, I think like we have an idea in our head of what we would like. And typically the things that we like are not the things that other people like. It's so strange how that works. But in looking at my website, I think two days ago or yesterday, I just went through and I took some things out that had either never received an order or hadn't received an order for a very long time. And I think the reason that it's important also to keep your inventory small is like A, so people can browse your store more easily and see the things that are most popular And then the other reason that I like to uh, take things off my inventory is because it's very expensive as a business owner to keep the supplies on hand that you need for everything. And so another thing that I would also say to consider is if there's something that's costing you a ton to make and you're not getting a ton of orders, it's probably time to get rid of that thing. And then if you're uh, structured similar to my business, you can always do custom orders if that thing is requested beyond the time that it was on your website. Where do you find your inspiration and how can other designers find theirs? Okay, so I always hear like on TikTok and social media that there's a lot of artists that struggle Uh, to sort of keep going. They don't like have the motivation or they can't think of anything that they really want to create. I believe that my motivation comes from necessity because in order for me to make profit at all, I have to work at an extremely fast pace. So I'll take my inspiration from, okay, what needs to happen next? What season is upcoming? So right now I'm about to um, launch a bathing suit line. And for me, the inspiration again was kind of out of necessity. What are we going to need going into the summer? Everything on my website and everything on my Instagram page was inspired by someone else. There's almost nothing that is my aesthetic or like who I am because I create things for other people and I create custom orders. So obviously you need to eat and pay rent. Life is expensive. So how much money should a small business owner keep for themselves? So for profit, and then how much should they put back in their business? So I know that most of what I do is not the most like admirable thing in terms of like health of myself I'm not that type of person I need to work on that and I know that I do but having said that I put almost everything that I make from my business back into my business like almost every single dollar that I make because I live with my parents my only expenses really are like travel and then cost of everything for my business. And so I don't have to worry about that too much. But if you are a regular person who owns a business and it's your only stream of revenue, I wouldn't say like there's a specific percentage, but you have to invest in yourself in order to become better. 
But I think for every business, it varies what that investment needs to be. So I would say invest what you're comfortable with back into your business. And then also remember that if you don't invest in yourself too, that there's no one to make your business uh, sort of evolve. So remember to put a percentage into what you feel you need to keep your business going and to help it get to that next stage. And then everything else, you know, the profit that you make, you should try to spend it on yourself, do something you enjoy because you have to keep yourself invigorated and excited in order to perform at your best when you're working. So think of yourself as an extension of investing in your business as well. I think just in life, I think people forget to invest in themselves. Not so much treat yourself. I mean, you know, don't treat yourself too much because then it's just shopping all the time. But I think investing back in yourself is so important. It doesn't always have to be, you know, you're buying something for yourself. It could be as, you know, reading a book when you wake up or just taking an extra five minutes with your cup of coffee in the morning, doing some stretching. There's a million and one ways to go about this. Moving back into the interview. (laughs) So do you feel that the fashion industry is inclusive to all races, sizes, sexuality, and gender orientation? If not, what steps need to be taken to invoke change? My answer for this is a resounding no. It is not inclusive. And I see a lot of brands, in my opinion, like I'm sure you've heard of like greenwashing where brands are basically just appealing to you know, trying to look like they're doing more to be sustainable, when in reality, a lot of it is a marketing ploy. Um, And I know this because I worked with like a firm that does like sustainability um, counseling for big brands. And she said, you know, most of her clients are only doing it because they want to keep up appearances. So I can tell you, wow. Yeah, (laughs) I know. It's crazy when you hear this thing from other people. But when you when you have a business, No, I know you should be like really critically think about, okay, they have this campaign, but what are they actually doing to make this happen? And in terms of the industry at large, I can tell you that I've been approached by a lot of a lot of different women who have said, oh, you carry up to this size. I usually can't find cute things in the size that I like. Or in terms of lingerie, I hear this all the time. Oh my gosh, you're the first person that I know that has made a bralette that is actually big enough to fit my chest that is a completely normal size. I hear that all the time. So I know for a fact in having spoken to people that are just even in this general um, area that there's not a lot available for people that are um, like in between sizes or, you know, whatever sizes are trying to find something cute and they really can't. So I really wanted to like fill that gap when I started my brand, but it's not easy because there's not a lot of resources available for people that are not like a traditional size. So I've been doing a lot of work to try to make that happen. And that's the reason that on my site and for all my custom orders, I offer up to 4X. If there was ever someone that said that they wanted something bigger or smaller than what I offered, I would try my absolute best to make sure that I could do it. I don't see why I couldn't as long as they provide me with measurements And I really don't think that other brands are doing that. There's not a ton of inclusivity. The size ranges are very limited. And then in terms of gender and sexuality, uh, races, yeah. Okay. um, So another interesting thing now that I like make clothes, when I was doing uh, lingerie last season and I was like trying to design different things in terms of race, the like nude fabrics that are available for lingerie and, and bras you see very clearly that there's a lot in the way of people that are like 
lighter, fairer skin. And then after a certain point, there's not a ton of options. If girls want to have, you know, they have a deeper complexion and they want something to be made that matches their complexion or something to complement their complexion. There's not a ton in the way of fabrics. What I can do as someone that does custom orders is I can custom dye things for people. Um, I know for dance costumes, even the tights um, that are offered are not not far wide enough um, in terms of the selection of complexions that you can choose from. Being someone that danced, I remember there were even girls that, you know, were just a few shades darker than me and I'm very pale and they couldn't even find anything that was necessarily going to complement their skin tone. So it's evident from my experience that there's just, there's not a ton. Even if people are saying that they're inclusive, okay, that's great. But then why am I having such a, a hard time finding things that are in such a range of colors? Like, it just doesn't make sense. We're not all one skin color. And then the bra, the bra supply that I shop at, again, they're, they're good for the most part. But when it came to that, I really struggled. And then in terms of sexuality... I mean, I think the important thing is, at least for me, um, that I want everyone to remember that anyone can wear my clothes. It doesn't matter what your gender identity or sexuality is, because clothes are a huge way of expressing that. And <laughs> Kathy, I know, you know, I'm sure you know that Noah started doing drag. Yes. And I know. It was so exciting. And he like reached out to me and he was like, oh, like, would you want me to model for you? And I was like, hell yes. Like, I never, I rarely see people that are doing drag or like expressing their gender identity or sexuality in fun and creative different ways. Um, a lot of times like they're stifled from being able to, um, you know, partake in wearing whatever clothing it is that I'm making. And you don't see a lot of representation for people that are on social media that are expressing their gender identity in different ways. So I really want to encourage everyone, like, although, like I say that I make predominantly women's clothing, anyone can wear it. It doesn't matter who you are. And I really want to be that like voice um, for people that want to try, you know, wearing something different or they want a custom order. And they felt like in past, they didn't see something that really matched up with who they were. I really want to be a space that encourages everyone to experiment with fashion because anyone can wear anything as long as they're comfortable. Yeah. And you're in an industry right now where I think you are probably one of going to be one of the leaders of this because I don't see any big brands really, let's say, oh, anyone can wear this. I feel like big brands say that and then they throw, you know, they make sure they have rep quote representation on all their advertisements. And then they're like, we did our job, pat on the back. Yay. Also going yeah. back to sizes, the fact that in different stores, I'm an array of different, like usually I'm a 12 to 14 or a large, it really depends what store I go into. And there are stores, I won't name them. They're more fast fashion that. So for instance, if like I had a friend, she's normally a size like six or four, but at this store, she's an eight or a 10. So they essentially make the clothes smaller than what the actual size is. And it's such bullshit. <laughs> Two things that make your business so great is that you're really committed, obviously, to representation and making sure anyone can wear your clothes, but also sustainability and supporting local businesses. Can you stress to our listeners how important it is to shop local and to try to and avoid like wholesale fashion? I know not everyone can do it because stuff can it's be expensive. Not accessible to it's not as accessible to everyone, but yeah, if you could just what I try to do in my process, at least if you ever decide that you want to shop from uh, my business, I try as best as I can to source my products from local suppliers. Um, and most people are not aware of this, but 
almost none of the textiles that you come in contact with in your lifetime are made domestically. Um, and the reason being, there's only a few textile mills left in Canada. I think there's maybe one in Ontario and the majority of them are in Montreal, if there are any, which is, um, that's our fashion hub in Canada. And then pretty much everything else is made either in California or overseas um, and a lot of the places that you've probably heard about uh, mass producing fabrics, so places like Bangladesh, um, they have a lot of fabric mills over there. Um, and the reason being, obviously, uh, exploitation. Um, very unfortunate, but the way that things work is that overseas there are less uh, labor laws and a lot of women and children are exploited in the practice of making textiles overseas. So if you shop from a local mill, which is the absolute goal, you can assure yourself through that purchase that you are um, paying people a livable wage and they're working conditions that are fair, especially in Canada, you know, they're going to be very much akin to what you would experience in any other job. So I try as much as I can to buy domestic fabric, but the price is much higher. If someone comes to me and they say that that's something specifically that they'd like, I always make sure that I can make that happen for them. And when we buy local domestic fabrics, we know that we are not putting anyone at risk for any type of exploitation. So that's why buying fabric domestically is super important to me. But also there's other supplies that I use that are not uh, fabric. You know, there's there's notions obviously that go into making uh, different items. Like you might have some elastic strapping or hardware and you can also get those things domestically. Um, and we're putting money back into people's pockets that are living locally, that may be struggling right now due to the pandemic or a variety of other factors. Thankfully, the fashion sector actually still has been relatively unaffected amidst everything that's going on. Fabric has been selling at an all-time high. So it's because people are able to turn back to their crafts and to sh uh, shop locally and support these local shops that people are able to continue their lifestyles and families in our community and whatnot are able to you know, continue putting food on the table. That's something that's super important to me. I shop local in every uh, situation that's possible. For birthday gifts, you could probably find something really nice either on Etsy or on Instagram. Um, there's lots of different interesting things that are going on locally in the greater Toronto area. So I guarantee you, if you just take that extra five seconds to source uh, local business, you'll be directly impacting someone that's just like you. It might be your neighbor or someone down the street, but it really makes a huge difference. Like the bra supply that I shop at, they send you an email when you email them, just letting you know that you're directly impacting their livelihood every time you shop from them. That's yeah, so they're in cute. Hamilton. I know it's cute. That's so cute. Um, yeah, for people that don't know, if you're local to Hamilton, there's a fashion district um, in downtown Hamilton. And when you shop there, like you can tell that it very much impacts the lives of the people that are working there when you give them your What's business. What's the fashion district called? I just want to throw it into the resources. It's on Ottawa Street North. I don't know that it necessarily has a name, but there's like six or seven stores down there that are honestly, they're comparable to the fashion district in Toronto. But I find it a bit more affordable and it's more accessible. You don't want to park downtown Toronto and it's just sometimes a bit of a nightmare. So we'll make um, sure to throw so those down, those stores yeah. in the <laughs> description below. So as a small business owner, how can people support your community other than spending money if they if they don't have the extra money to spend right now? So there's actually a lot of ways that you can support uh, small businesses without actually spending any money. 
The first thing is just engaging with people's content, following them, sharing their content to your story, liking their pictures. And according to what I've heard, the biggest thing right now is saving posts on Instagram. Apparently that boosts the business's um, content into the algorithm. So that's really important. Uh, find them on multiple social media platforms if you can. Follow their TikTok and their Facebook. And word of mouth is huge. I know a ton of people that haven't been able to support me because they're not making any money, which I completely understand because if I had all the money in the world, I would buy from every single business that I knew of, but I don't. Um, and my business is really expensive. So what I tend to do in my daily life is people will come to me sometimes and they'll ask me, oh, can you do this? And I'll say, you know what? I can't put a uh, text onto the back of a shirt, but I actually know another business who can. Um, and what I'll do is I'll forward them like my friend, uh, she does all custom vinyl appliques and she can put text onto different like mugs and whatever and clothes. So I'll take her profile, I'll send it along and then she'll message me usually and say, oh, thanks for sending that person my way. And then another business or another person that you referred, they can make a sale or they can get business just through you speaking about things that you've seen that you like. It really has a big impact just thinking of businesses that you know that are relevant in conversation with someone else and sharing their contact information. That support probably just goes such a long way. Absolutely. Honestly, it's good. It's good to know because like you said, not everyone has the money to spend right now. So it's good that people can still do stuff to support you. And since we are wrapping up, I have to ask, we ask all our guests this, what's the most adult thing that you've done this week? Probably I downloaded a whole bunch of apps onto my phone that I need for my business. I was putting it off for a long time, but I downloaded like the Wix app and the Etsy app and all of these different applications that I need. And I have a receipts app to keep track of everything that I'm uh, spending. Finally, like got all my like passwords and everything organized on my phone so that whenever I need to attend to a business matter, everything is just right there. And I organized my my apps to make sure that everything is all together for when I need to do something related to my business. So probably that (laughs) girl, that's so adult. Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Did you want to promote? What do you want to plug? What do you want to tell our listeners? Where can we follow you? All that jazz. So my TikTok and my uh, Instagram handles are both at Calabrian Kiss. You can find me on either of those social networks there. I have a Facebook, also Calabrian Kiss. You can find me through that. Um, I have a website now. It's calabriankiss.ca. I'm also Calabrian Kiss on Etsy if you prefer Etsy over using the Wix website that I have. And I think that's everything. I don't have a YouTube as of yet, but if there's interest, I think I'll probably make one one day with like some tutorials and all that fun stuff. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Thank you both. This is a great time. I really appreciate it. (laughs) All righty. Thanks for listening to the Society of Grownups podcast. Please share, like, rate, review, save, follow all our social media. It's all down below and we will catch you next Monday. Bye everyone. Bye.